It's a cloudy day here in Pawtucket, and I am planted in my seat firmly to discuss, as promised, part two of our talk on Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead. We begin with the personnel. We have Jerry on guitar. We have Phil Lesh on bass, Bob Weir on rhythm guitar and vocals. We have uh, Bill Kreutzman on drums, Mickey Hart on drums, and we have a number of keyboardists through time, um, most notably Brett, uh, Brent Midland, and uh, just before him was Keith Gottschalk. Keith, um, story about Keith is uh, he was at a, a dead concert, um, grooving with everybody else out in the audience. They had a break. There were some tables set up, and Donna approached the stage in a very unwoman-like, ballsy manner and said, you have to have us as your bandmates. Not not just backup, not part-time, not just touring, not just recording, but full-time, full-fledged, equal-status bandmates. And Keith is my husband, and you want to have him in the band as well. In other words, Jerry, who they were speaking with, I guess they thought Jerry was the most approachable of all the bandmates, although they were all they all were. But Jerry was the one that would make the decisions. He's the one that named the Grateful Dead the Grateful Dead when they were the Warlocks back in 1966. And Donna said, "It's it's either me and my husband, or nothing at all." Can you imagine that giving that ultimatum to? one of the greatest rockers of all time. I can't. Jerry said, I'll be back in a little bit. I think he went to go tune up, as they say in the biz. And I'll meet you at your table. I see you sitting there. Or I'll find you. And he found them. And he had a beer sitting down with them. And they discussed the future going forward of the band. It would now include Donna and Keith. Were they an asset? Well, it's debatable. Keith certainly was. He was an accomplished keyboardist. Uh, he brought a real bluesy mentality, even though Pigpen uh, before him, uh, uh, Pigpen McKernan, who died, who had just, well, I think a couple of years before, or a year or so before, a tour or two before, as they say, uh, passed away from liver condition, complicated by alcoholism. He was a known drinker, and he was a real bluesman. His father was a blues disc jockey. So um, Keith would continue in, in, in the spirit of uh, Pigpen, on the Hammond B3 on the piano. 
Now, remember, the pianos were electric later in the 80s, but before that, they were the full-size, full-grand piano. Uh, in fact, the logo was emblazoned. Um, the sound guy had uh, designed the logo for all the equipment, and that's the lightning bolt logo um, with the skull in the red, white, and blue. Beautifully designed logo that was... Uh, about uh, five feet in radius on the piano. Great for the aerial shots. Um, photography and, and uh, concert photography and sound was coming a long way by then. Uh, it had developed through time. Uh, there's a great concert you might want to check out from 1974. I believe it's from Winterland. And uh, they play all the great songs, Scarlet Begonia, Scarlet Begonias, um, among others. Um, and they played just wonderfully. And the film was, film was, if the film was like it was shot yesterday, people, uh, believe me when I tell you that. Um, it was 35 millimeter film, or 16 millimeter film. And the transfer was done um, probably over the last 10, 15 years and impeccable. When you transfer film uh, to video, it takes on a real silky, well, rather milky quality. It's, it's lacks detail, but it makes up for it in color saturation. And uh, what it lacks in definition, um, it makes up for in um, fullness. Uh, the camera camera work was revolutionary at the time where the uh, cameramen were all with portable equipment, uh, portable cameras. And remember, these cameras were three times the size of what we would consider now a video camera uh, that would be used at, at, at the side of the football uh, line, for instance. So we've got heavy, heavy equipment, big, bulky, uh, bulky equipment, and uh, they would kneel down uh, to get a low perspective, they would have some rigging uh, at the top uh, or use the rigging, incorporate the rigging uh, into the uh, camera production. They would move the camera. Uh, they would be in the spirit of the handheld camera. They wouldn't be really uh, too obsessed with trying to have a perfect still uh, picture uh, that, that, uh, that would not even disturb a fly if the fly was on the camera. So you're, you're, the benefit of it is a YouTube video that uh, is really um, off the charts. I use that expression a lot. Forgive me, I like to use it. Um, Chartbuster would be another way of looking at it, appropriate to the music industry. Just taking a sip of my coffee here. Ninth Avenue Blend, Seattle's best. Go for it. I'm sitting at my couch. Um, I'm going to probably listen to some, some Jerry, at least some Jerry uh, a little later on, Jerry Garcia band possibly, maybe some David Grisman. I'm, I'm partial to Shady Grove, their last album they made that was recorded um, and uh, recorded when Jerry, of course, was alive, but uh, released posthumously in 1996. Um, I don't know the record label, but you can easily find find uh, find what you're looking for 
song specific, you'll have to, uh, well, I can tell you there's songs like, um, uh, well, <laughs> I, I have to, I'm having little blocks here, but I would remember all the songs on that album. Uh, the title cut, of course, is Shady Grove. Um, so all you have to do is type in Shady Grove. Don't have to type in Jerry at all, uh, Jerry Garcia. You don't need to reference him. Uh, it will come up at least uh, one of the top two or three uh, in your queue. And you can just sit back and enjoy. It's, it's a sumptuous album of Appalachian-style folk, folk uh, rock music. Uh, actually, there's not a lot of rock elements in it. Um, be forewarned. If you want to go there, you're going to have to put on uh, maybe another, uh, maybe a Jerry Garcia album from the 70s. Uh, they, they, uh, the Jerry Garcia band, probably the second most powerful entity outside of the Grateful Dead. Uh, I would put them second. Although Jerry's solo work, remember, and his work with... Uh, Merle Saunders, um, his work with Howard Wales, uh, all kind of lump in together um, as number two, or possibly three. Um, I'll give you that. Uh, but uh, you will find that uh, that with Jerry Garcia Band, you're not going to be wanting of anything, uh, and you're going to be finding out that this band uh, that Jerry formed from 1973 to 1978 was their last stint, uh, probably at Winterland, um, but I probably shouldn't have said that because I might be uh, T-O-M-A on that, um, uh, and I, I might be wrong, but and to use another uh, anachronism, uh, I want to just say uh, Jerry is the goat, and... If you have to look up what that means, then you are a goat. No, I kid. I don't want to have any ill will here. Here's the thing about the Grateful Dead. They're not about ill will. They're not about ill wind. They're not about ill timing or ill tune. They're in tune. They're in timing. They're goodwill ambassadors uh, for great, great rock and roll music. I can now say rock and roll when I talk about Jerry Garcia Band and Grateful Dead because they are uh, real pure classic rock uh, ambassadors. There's that word again. My dad had an ambassador, a Rambler ambassador, an American Motors car. He had two, of, uh, three of them. He had a 61 sedan, beautiful. I remember it, my first memories. Uh, I'm old, I'm 60. I'll be 61 in February of uh, 2021, um, but I do remember the cars. The cars were great. I remember our neighbor, Bill Broder, um, wonderful, wonderful guy, had about eight cars. Uh, he got a car about every year and a half. My brother, Claude, would uh, eagerly uh, tag along with him every time to the car dealership. He had uh, everything ranging from Ford to Mercury to Chrysler, to General Motors. Uh, the, the, he kept the manufacturers busy, um, and he had every color under the, under the rainbow. Uh, then my dad, though, my dad, getting back to my dad, Bert Massey. Um, I love my folks. They passed away. My dad died in 2012, my, uh, 2206. My mom, 2012. They lived on the planet 
of earth for a day between them. My mom uh, died um, about a month or so before her birthday. I'm sorry, my my mom died February, March, April, May. Uh, February, March. Uh, well, about a month, about a month and a half, maybe almost two months. About a month and a half before she, she died before uh, her birthday. So you can you can figure this out. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's a nice activity uh, with the virus and everything going on. Uh, let's do it. My mom died on January 12, 2006, and she died. She was born on. She was born. She died, and her birthday uh, was is March 30, March 24. Her birthday. She 1931. You don't need to use that in the math. Um, although yes, you do, because my mom would have been 81 in, in, in March, March 24. My dad, uh, six years earlier, he was six years older than my mother, kind of the classic arrangement of, uh, the, the, the old French Canadian way or, or the old way back then where the husband was uh, several years older than the wife, the bride younger than the groom. My dad died um, June 6, 2006, and his birthday was August, um, is August 20th, 1925. So with those numbers, you can do any kind of math that you wish to do to arrive at uh, my folks being a day apart living on this uh, lovely planet we, we call home, planet Earth. So getting back to the subject at hand, I don't want to detract too many too much from this. Um, hope you're listening, Claude. I'm dedicating this program to my brother Claude. He's not a big Grateful Dead fan. He had gone to many concerts. Well, he went to many rock concerts, and I know he went to at least two 1974, 1974 is a great epic concert uh, where Big was better, uh, and the days were um, were big and better back in 74. It's the the days of Mary Tyler Moore and MASH, um, the days of uh, winding down of your Quinn Martin uh, uh, criminal dramas, such as Barnaby Jones and uh, Mannix, and the total demise of uh, the rural comedy as we know it, Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, Mayberry RFD, Hee Haw, I never liked that show, always thought it was a rip-off of laughing in a, for a country way, with nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with countrifying, Jerry countrified, he didn't really have to countrify, uh, he picked source material, uh, the, uh, I don't think he did any originals, uh, with Jet, with, uh, most, most notably Dave Grisman, um, when he did his album, Shady Grove, um, and others, um, and, uh, I know there's an album that I really like, that I enjoy, uh, been around all this, been around this world. Uh, or been around all this world, and uh, it's just a wonderful album in equally equal status, almost, in my opinion. I think Shady Grove is the pinnacle. 
again, uh, released posthumously. I think it was on Arista, but I'm not sure. You know what? I'm going to stop giving you this information that I'm not really sure of. Um, this empirical data, as they say, or lack of empirical data. But uh, the we were talking about rock and roll. And rock and roll is a broad term um, specified by bands such as the Grateful Dead. So I gave you the personnel lineup. I added in two, two of the great keyboardists. They did have um, a total, of, I believe, of four. Bruce Hornsby sat in. Um, Wynton Marsalis sat in in the 80s. Uh, Bob Dylan, of course, who's known, um, notorious for sitting in um, and doing uneven performances. Although there's one performance, I believe, from 1987 at JFK or RFK, one of the two big venues, uh, outdoor amphitheaters, uh, stadiums, that he uh, really sings well. His voice is is so great. In fact, you you should really check that out too. Type in um, Bob Dylan, Grateful Dead, uh, and I think that's all you need to do. And you will get several concerts. You'll have to scroll down, possibly, most likely, and you'll find the concert, uh, the Bob Dylan Grateful Dead concert that I think ends all uh, concerts with these two involved. And uh, they had a great association. I can tell you a story of a sound check by the Grateful Dead, an indoor sound check, um, probably circa 87, 88. Those are the years that we're talking about. I don't think, uh, I think they, Bob went his own way with his own projects by, by 1989. Um, but uh, those two full years, um, they just had a great rip-roaring time. Uh, they really lassoed in, uh, lassoed in some uh, real stellar, stellar performances. But the sound check or the rehearsal, I think it actually is a rehearsal, uh, is uh, there's some video. It's hard to find, but you can find it, of Bob on a small trike or tricycle tooling around um, by the soundboard um, about midway down the, uh, the room uh, and uh, just uh, looping around the guys as they get the right mix ready for this night's concert. Uh, and it's really funny. I, I, get, a, I get a hoot out of it. Uh, what does it show? It shows uh, pure enthusiasm um, on Bob's part. Uh, it shows that, okay, this guy likes these guys. Uh, the dead, uh, instant likability. Uh, one factor I want to mention is the band uh, is the band, but the, the crowd is the crowd. The deadheads have their own name. They, they, are, uh, they are their own personality. And their personality shines through in, in a collective sense. Uh, uh, on every performance, and they're just as important. And if the band didn't have um, have these patrons of the arts, then I think they'd be a lesser band, or maybe they wouldn't be a band at all because I think they wouldn't want to really continue. 
Um, remember, get to remember now uh, with the history of the dead uh, in 1967, Summer of Love, 68. I think it ended by 69 uh, were the uh, acid tests. These were uh, events that would be uh, 50 cents would get you in. Later on, I think it went up to a dollar. I could do a whole other program. I'm not going to part this out. I am parting it out, but I'm not going to say part one of two. Uh, this is this is part one of two so far, because I want to talk about, um, I'm going to want to talk about the art of the poster. We're talking about the art of the performance, the art of uh, of the, the recording. Remember, they did 13 albums. That's not very slouchy. Um, people say, oh, just 13. Well, look, look, how many, how many albums did the Beatles do? I don't really know. Um, I'm not a big, big Beatles fan. Oh, gosh. Lightning strikes in the studio. God forbid that you're not a Beatles fan, guy. You're not a Led Zeppelin fan. You're not a uh, Pink Floyd fan, although I do probably like Pink Floyd more than, than any of those two. Um... You're not, uh, you know, you're not a, a, a fan of uh, certain genres of rock, and there are many, um, you know. But I think there's, you know, the 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 the, the hum humbleness of uh, Jerry and the humbleness and the the clean uh, fortitude of Jerry and his band uh, continues on. Um, I love saying Jerry and his band. Don't you like hearing that? Uh, it's, it's it's Jerry and his band. It's like the it's like the Dixieland uh, kind of approach. But Jerry and his band. Um, I just want to continue on now by just saying the poster art is um, stellar. It's psychedelic, but then it's refined. It's always has a a beautiful composition and balance to it. The the illustrations are just incredible. The color, uh, the size and scale of these posters, they're mostly rectangle. Um, very, very, very few are, are, uh, are square, round, or uh, narrow rectangle, or window pane, as we would call it. Uh, these are very well composed. Um, they are square, though, um, uh, but not in the volume aspect. Um, but they are square when they had to produce for um, the, the LP. Um, the 45 or whatever format was back then. And then later on, the CD that was ushered in in the early 80s. So uh, the posters are a part of the culture. The uh, the audience uh, is part of the culture. There's so many components. There's so many components, my friends. Uh, Y'all got to really realize that this is a band that is a... Uh, not not a corporate entity, but they are a a well rated, a well ranked, also well uh, gamuted, full spectrum, uh, not Phil Spector, full spectrum um, organization, and they would be last to admit that they're an organization. So I think the most important aspect of the Grateful Dead is the the audience. Um, you, you folk, the people that are out in the bleachers, they, they got just as much of a sound fill as anyone could imagine. The guy behind the Coca-Cola sign uh, in the stadium, 
uh, heard the band uh, that made the, the band, uh, I know that they made a point of making sure that every set of ears was satisfied, whether it was a, uh, a, a theater of a thousand or a stadium of uh, 60,000. This band satisfied on all levels. Uh, Stage-wise, they um, were lumpy. I heard that term being used before. Yeah, they were a little clumpy, lumpy. They they were not an animated uh, band. You didn't go there to, to see a visual show, although they did project some some gel kind of uh, gooey kind of grooviness uh, visual projections or rear projections. Uh, incorporated it. They're probably one of the first to incorporate visual into their uh, act. Uh, lighting came in in the 80s with a bang. Uh, of course, it wasn't digital. The sound was not analog until uh, the early to mid 80s, uh, but they were first adopters. Uh, they were first adapters as well. They, uh, uh, they uh, embraced everything technological especially with sound, um, of course, with visuals too. But the visuals were secondary. Uh, the sound was primary. Uh, so you also had bass. Uh, Phil would get his bass levels to such that uh, he wouldn't be overpowering, but it would give a good foundation to the band. And uh, he would get get out onto the meadows uh, for those people that had uh, were sitting with their blankets uh, kicking back, uh, there were actually some notes that I read where people were just um, blown away by, to say the least, by uh, Phil's Phil Lesh's um, bassecraft. Um, Brent uh, keyboard par excellence, probably one of the greatest keyboardists ever to grace the stage or studio. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful. Uh, 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 keyboard player on the Hammond B3 especially but certainly the piano very animated very full key pressed down kind of approach uh, he worked with the drummers primarily but also with uh, Phil and also obviously with Jerry they had a lot of back and forth there's some great videos that you also would want to check out I'm giving you a lot of homework, but it's really a joy uh, where there's some real real smiles exchanged between the two. Uh, and then don't forget Bob Weir. He's rhythm, and the piano is a percussion instrument, and uh, they uh, they played off each other as well. So, so Brent had a field day with every outing um, with the band. Um, we move over to... Uh, to Bob Weir, who is still playing today, uh, his band, uh, Dead and Company. He takes in all disciplines. He takes in all talent. Um, Bob Weir also uh, works with John Mayer. John Mayer is, is the great guitarist that is actually channeling Jerry Garcia. He's a wonderful, wonderful musician, as they all are. And, uh, but Bob, Bob's not, uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, John Mayer is not, was not with the Grateful Dead, but he is with Dead Company, Dead and Company. 
But Bob Weir was, and Bob Weir is just, they consider him one of the greatest uh, uh, rhythm guitarists. I know you're sick of me saying the greatest, but you're going to get that when I'm talking about this band. Mickey Hart, uh, his dad ran off with a, about a hundred, hundred or so thousand dollars. He absconded the band, or shed the band of money. Um, and uh, in the 70s, early 70s, I believe. Um, and Mickey would leave the band for about, uh, oh, a good five years, I believe, before he would be uh, invited back. I think Jerry always invited him back, but Mickey, out of respect, um, tried some different other projects, never to the never to the greatness of the of the dead, and he came back with a storm as the percussionist, the lead percussionist, uh, or the second drummer. And who's the first drummer? It's Bill Kreutzmann. Bill Kreutzmann uh, started with the band and also ended in 1996, uh, 1995, when the band disbanded uh, because of Jerry's uh, through Jerry's death. Uh, so, so Bill, Bill was a steady. Bill was one of the, uh, I believe, the four steady musicians, being Jerry, uh, uh, Phil Lesh, Bob Weir, and Bill. Uh, he was one of the four, um, the the triumvirate plus one. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, you know they they um, this was a band that started in 1965 as the Warlocks, changed the name to Grateful Dead in '66. Jerry had seen a the um, dictionary uh, meaning of what uh, he had seen Grateful Dead in a dictionary, an old, I believe, Mexican world dex- dictionary. And uh, it was about uh, the Grateful Dead, about the souls rising and, uh, and helping, coming to the aid of the living. Uh, that's a uh, paraphrase of the definition. It may not be totally accurate. I may have some of those elements off, especially the latter. Uh, but they are about the, the uh, great spirits rising, the great dead rising. So the Grateful Dead, but not the great dead, G-R-E-A-T, or Grateful, great, G-R-E-A-T-F-U-L, or F-U-L-L, but Grateful, Grateful, G-R-A-T-E-F-U-L. So we have our uh, keyboardist as well uh, that I mentioned, and then we have Jerry, and I already talked about Jerry. Um, There's never enough said about this man. Uh, probably the most generous soul ever to uh, be in a be part of the music scene. Um, so the recordings, there's 13. Um, my favorite album, I believe, is going to be Terrapin Station. Um, if you mention another album there, I would say, oh, I like that one too. But this one has the has an epic masterpiece uh, called Terrapin Station. The title cut. Um, it, it, it has other great, great songs on it, but uh, Terrapin Station is the signature piece. Uh, it's, a, it's a good 16, clocks in at 16 minute form. If you see 14 minutes or 1410 when you, uh, when you index it, then you don't want to listen to that one that's been cut down. Isn't that amazing how they cut the song down only about by two minutes or so? Um, the 1646 or such is the one that you, is your go-to, uh, song, uh, 
that you definitely want to check out. So there are other albums, but just for brevity's sake, I'm just going to mention um, Terrapin. Um, I think that uh, we've covered a lot here uh, in the 30 minutes or so. Um, I, I hope you're enjoying this program. I just want to dedicate this song again, this this album, <laughs> this program, to uh, my brother Claude again. Claude Massey, I want to give him another mention. Um, he's helped us with an ongoing series of uh, art art in nature. Uh, he also, which is going to continue, um, well, we, we have two parts. Uh, one is already in the can, well, out there. Um, and we had talked about uh, um, Mount Moose Lock, uh, Mount Carrigan, the Rocky Mountains, uh, New England at large. A um, little touching in, touching back down to home here in Rhode Island. But for the most part, um, this is was a program that was uh, lovingly done. Claude talked to us, caught, talked to us remotely from uh, Middletown, Connecticut. We're getting the technology down. Um, I had a little bit of an echo on that last one. I apologize if you listen to it. We're going to try to eliminate that uh, for the most part. Uh, the next program uh, will be a surprise that is going to be mentioned um, as we open up with the program, and you'll you'll be in for a real real treat. I think the virus uh, is has caused us to really just be a little bit um, uh, home, homebound uh, in both uh, physical and spiritual and mental. And it's really limited us with our interactions and our perspective, really our perspective. Think about it. Uh, we're being narrowed down day by, on a day-by-day basis. Uh, we're being uh, cloistered. Uh, like uh, like an order of brothers, uh, St. Benedict aside, uh, this is not the way to really live. Uh, for those of you getting outside, I think it's most of us. We go out in our backyards, we get some sun. We need sun. We need vitamin D3. Uh, that's the best remedy against this virus. Um, ask any doctor. He'll prescribe you D3 or D. Uh, if you can get out around the block with your dog, uh, good, f- go for it. If you can go to your um, state park or your city park, uh, I know over here in Pawtucket we have Slater Memorial Park. It's a wonderful park. Um, it's really just a, a little bit of a walk. Um, I almost was, I've been there many times, of course, uh, through my lifetime here. Uh, I'm a lifetime resident of the city. Uh, great city. Uh, the the uh, the the I have went recently to, to do some video of some nature in nearby uh, Daggett Woods, um, and uh, it is just a beautiful area uh, that you would say, "Wow, this comes out of nowhere." But I would have walked over to Pawtucket uh, Memorial, but I was very 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 disappointed that my camera was not cooperating with me. I was very, very frustrated that day. Uh, it was about two months ago. So, But I don't really get out a lot, but I do get out to do some projects outside in the yard. Um, I just finished my porch, screening it in, uh, keeping out the little critters. Um, my cat uses it more than I do, but I am out on the porch uh, on a daily basis. 
the air is fresh. As I said earlier, it's a cloudy day. And that, with that, I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to wrap up my uh, program today, uh, which uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope that it brought something, a little bit of perspective on this band uh, from 1965 uh, to 1995. They, um, they reign supreme. Um, more pop cultural references are uh, attributed to this band than just about anybody else. So with that, I thank you for listening to Talk Me Some Art on this episode of Jerry and His Band. <laughs>